Well, I pressed record at just the right moment. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Our guest today, Joel Murray. How many hats do you wear? I have a, a good amount of hats. My wife complains about it all the time. Every time I go out, it seems like I come back with three more hats. But uh, I've got a few. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I'm a director. Uh, I uh, am the head of the Murray side of the William Murray Golf, uh, which was originally Murray Brothers Golf. Uh, Wonderfully uh, colorful apparel company. I like to represent. Uh, yeah, this is a little subtle something that's uh, going like to come it. out for uh, the Masters, but uh, Azaleas. Azaleas today. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, you, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you and your family, I keep, as we can start at the beginning, you started playing golf. How old were you? Oh, uh, we grew up across the street from a convent that was probably 80 acres. Uh, so that was our first golf course. And uh, so, I mean, I started when I was five or six, you know, hitting balls in there. In a field, in a convent, without greens or anything? Yeah, no. You just pick out a tree in the distance, and that was the hole. And, uh, yeah, that's a par four. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you, you'd see how long it took you to get there. And uh, then we all grew up caddying. Um, I think they, they caught my oldest brother coming out of mass. We were altar boys. Too. What is the ages of the family? I don't know. Um, well, there's an 18-year gap. My brother Ed is... Uh, 74 and I'm 56 I'm the youngest so, okay uh, that's that's the range there's nine of us mom and dad had no hobbies uh, although dad had some golf clubs I think he was more of a bowler but uh, he did play once in a while and, and we used the heck out of those clubs and Walter Hagen's that uh, we uh, we drove into the ground but you used the clubs not as a uh, like familial obligation it was actual just recre childish recreation well, yeah, it was back in the day where, you know, I, I remember I ran away once when I was like seven years old and nobody ever looked for me. That, that's how it is when you grow up in a family of nine. Nobody noticed I ran away. Nobody looked for me. Nobody noticed there was somebody less at the table even. But um, so you were in charge of your own entertainment. And uh, my father, when he bought our house, he had the choice of buying one across from Flick Park in Glenview, Illinois, or this house in Wilmette across from a convent that had ponds and, and trees and all kinds of fruit. I mean, we didn't even find out about lunch till later in life uh, because you could go out there and eat rhubarb and strawberries and cherries and apples and pears and stuff like that. We would just scavenge all day long. But, you know, you, you had to come home for dinner and you had to come home when the lights were on. And, you know, that's starting at age four. Uh, <laughs> nobody was looking for you. And uh, I mean, I, that's how I got in the theater. I was at a friend's house, and the lady said, oh, well, Joe, you got to go now. The boys have an audition for a play, and you have to go. I'm like, well, I don't have to be anywhere till 5.30. I, I could go. And uh, I got cast in a Wilmette Children's Theater play when I was in third grade and was in Oliver. And uh, one of her sons didn't get in it, and she was still angry, I think, to this day about that one. But uh, it just having that freedom of, you know, being on your bicycle all day long, and, you know, part of that was you, you throw a bag over your shoulder and ride your bike over to the little muni by our house uh, it's now called canal shores it was the uh, peter jans back in the day but we actually canal shores was a, a term the murray brothers used and they you know it was not a complimentary term because uh, it was a drainage canal that it runs through and uh they they liked the name and they actually changed the name after we were using that and then talking it up and uh, it just kind of makes me laugh it was derogatory and oh now it's on the shirts I have two places I want to go with that. But first, uh, you talked about theater and stage. Um, those people listening right now, either on a lawnmower 
holding a weed whacker, driving a car. Maybe someone's out there having sex. I always like to imagine that. Not in a creepy way. But anyway, Joel, could you paint the picture of where we are? Because there are noises going on and people are wondering, where are we? This is crazy. We're right at the confluence of, a, of about three holes in the middle of Riviera. Um, I came in by the bomb-sniffing dogs at the back gate, but uh, I don't know my numbers offhand. Uh, we've, we've got a par three that is like seven here or something. Yep, seventh hole. Seventh hole. So, hey, I do know something. And yeah. this is like 14 over here. Uh, yep, wrapping around the other way. And then yeah. the ninth tee is right behind and us. And the ninth tee is right behind us. So yeah. we're, we're in the, the Genesis uh, playground that they have built here. But this is 14. This is 14. This is 14, right? Yeah, so oh, right behind the T there. So 14, right behind the Oh, green. there you yeah. go. There the, we go. The numbers will set you free. It's all numbers. You know the thing that's great is? Everyone listening, the answer is right. Yeah, right. You're we were right. right until you told me I was wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry. completely right. I broke the first rule of improvisation. Yeah. Oh, well. Just, okay, just so hand it. we've set the stage. Now, I'm curious to know about, um, you're describing your childhood, you're describing getting into acting, and the word that's coming to my head is is the word feral. <laughs> is, is that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we were a feral family. Uh, it's true. Uh, like when my wife and I, who is also from Nine Kids and from Wilmette, Illinois, when we first saw Shameless, my wife was like, yeah, I can't watch it. Way too close to home. <laughs> uh, I mean, we used to do things like jump on the milk truck with the mail, uh, with the milkman and he'd give you 50 cents to actually do all his work. You know? oh. we, we, were, we were able hands for hire uh, back in the day. Um, but and also like we have a clothing line, this William Murray golf line, and a lot of our strange fashion sense came from the fact that you know every day was kind of like trying to find a, a Halloween outfit at the house. <laughs> uh, people Did you say, all share? Yeah, you all shared, and I was spoiled because I got all the hand-me-downs. I was the youngest, and uh, but you know you you look at some of Billy's outfits and it's like, oh man, that's like he just picked that up off the laundry pile and he paired it with that jacket and that tie wow that is bold and uh this is now or this is then both right yeah because now your brother bill is known for i mean just kimonos and things anything <laughs> anything goes yeah how do you so as this is you are well i want to get to the clothing but actually first i want to go into the early uh, canal shores mm. so i was lucky enough to play canal shores this fall we played um i uh through social media i just invited anyone and everyone and we played as a 20... How many people played? I think it was 24. Colt gives us the numbers here. 24 people in one group. Wow. And we had the best time. We just had the best time. It's it's a fabulous course. It's And it's really challenging. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some of the toughest holes I've ever played on that course. Um, the one that actually is in the news that they're trying to get rid of, not get rid of, but this guy is trying to have a... a politician build a road down the side of this wetland so he can get to this land that he bought that was never accessed accessible whatsoever uh is going to mess up the 10th hole which is a a weird little par three where it's under a canopy of trees and there's like marsh pretty much on both sides of it and you got to hit like a 180 yard shot that doesn't get above 30 feet. So it, it's one of the toughest holes I've ever played. And there's trees everywhere on this thing. And it, you, when you put it on the green there, you really feel like you've done something. It really is a it, it is a great golf course because it doesn't abide by the typical. Um, you know, concessions made to the golfer by the architect. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Here's the hole. Hey, look, there's 140 yards over here we, we could use. Yeah. We're sitting here. I just want to point out, we're watching. This is uh, KJ Choi and um, 
Is that Paul Casey? No. Callaway. No, that's... Um, uh, he needs a bigger bag with bigger he's, he's, letters. He needs a bigger bag. But we do know it's the 14th hole, so that's we, the important thing, the important factor. But that is KJ. So Canal Shores, um, I, I, um, I saw the, um, well, let's call it the turn stand there. Right after, right before the uh, farthest par three from the clubhouse, it's at nine now. Nine. Um, yeah, Billy ran the uh, the snack shack there back in the day, and that that was kind of humorous because uh, his work acumen wasn't what it <laughs> is today. Uh, now that he's really got his nose to the grindstone all the time, but uh, you is know, that he, true? No. I was like, wait a minute, I don't know if he's being... But he he used to run the snack shack at a golf course, and he'd show up around 11.30. You know, I like to get up when the sun is warm, you know. And uh, <laughs> he'd be selling hot dogs, and, and there'd be a lot of guys showing up in, like, cowboy hats and dingo boots that you knew weren't buying hot dogs back in the day. Yeah, but, uh, maybe they, looking they, for a salad or lettuce, yeah, if you will. Yeah, they were looking for salad, uh, <laughs> hippie lettuce. Um, but Billy, you know, entertained kind of, and uh, he was a fun guy, and they didn't fire him. But he, he started as a groundskeeper, actually. Oh, I didn't assistant know Assistant groundskeeper, it's true. He uh, has the experience here. <laughs> but uh, he uh, somehow got the, the gig to run the snack shack. And I, I think it only lasted maybe two seasons. Um, How old were you at the time? Well, uh, he's 12 years older than me. So okay. uh, he was probably 24, and I was... 12 years less. And were you cruising by there? Was Caddy, was, um, sorry, was Canal Shores kind of the, uh, was it a hang spot? Well, it was a hang spot. I, I, I learned a lot of things on that golf course besides (laughs) golfing. I made out with girls. I can point out different spots and different sexual conquests happened on that course. First Uh, hole, second hole, third hole? No, I'm kidding. So to speak. (laughs) Um, but also, um, we used to go and we'd ride our bikes over and you would hunt for golf balls along the canals because, you know, when you're out of the fairway there, your, your ball's in some real muck. Yeah. Uh, it was much worse back in the day. And um, so we would, you know, if you found like 12 pretty good balls, you'd go to the starter and he'd actually let you play if you gave him a dozen of good, good oh. balls and he'd resell them. But if you didn't, you'd just play the holes that, the, you know, they couldn't see you on. So, <laughs> you know, you'd go over and you'd play six different holes and uh yeah, let's let's go that way because she seems to be coming that way, and uh, you'd, it was about avoidance. But uh, yeah, it's it's between the L tracks and the canals, and uh, it was on the east side of town, not far from the beach. Uh, there were pretty girls on that side of town I didn't know, and uh, everything about it was enchanting to me back when I was twelve, thirteen years old. I think some of the most interesting people that I've met in my life have a long history of adolescent, um, you know. Um, trespassing on golf courses it, right well it, it, it's there it's there for the taking uh yeah i just found out my kids used to sneak onto uh hillcrest all the time <laughs> at night you and, raised your children in los angeles yeah they grew up right between you know right next to rancho park and hillcrest and they chose the right course to sneak onto that's for sure well apparently there was a free powerade uh, dispenser uh <laughs> and that was you know everything they were looking for when they were 12 or 13 but uh to give a little picture of of, of canal i'll say uh, one thing if you're listening and you've already kind of tuned into the uh, youtube channel that we have over here at the eric anders lang show we did an episode there. You can get a view of the of the course. Like like Joel said, there's a there's an elevated train running across it. There's a canal between, sort of the nines. There's two par threes that cross it. It it really is for me as a you know a visitor there for one time was just a really. 
it's it's one of the more unique layouts I've ever seen of a course that basically goes out and back. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful, and you know, you you go by the Baha'i Temple. There's only yeah. a few of those in the entire world. There's scenic you know spots, uh, and of course, I, I always have my history. I have a little golf tournament there every August. Uh, the Canal Shores, the Invitational, Invitational. and uh, we bring in first responders from all over the country, and uh, we're going to bring in some probably more firemen this year that went through the fires here in California, and we bring in people from Sandy Hook and from 9-11 and bring them to Chicago and put them up in a really good hotel downtown for a couple nights, but then we bring them up to Canal Shores, and when it first started, that course has gotten better every year, like you were there last year. It's gotten better every single year. This guy Tony uh, has taken over as the superintendent, and you know, church row bunkers and stuff he's putting in now. And yeah. Like, wow, that used to be hard pan, and uh, it, it's just in such great shape. But the first couple of years, they're coming out and really, we're playing here. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's 16 bars on 18 holes. Good luck, fella. And uh, we would bring these first responders out that have seen these you know traumatic situations and been through hell, and they were, you know, being first responders, they're like, is there something you want us to do? I'm like, no, just have a really good time. Right. And hit it hard, you yeah. know. Uh, just just have fun. We, we're here to say we appreciate what you do and, and just uh, let loose for a couple of days. And uh, they really they really love it. Um, I would love to be a part of that next time. I think that'd be great. I think any time where you can use golf as an opportunity to express gratitude is great. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing, you know, we, we have a celebrity tournament down in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. I think yes. this is the 19th annual. and it's spo- know, That's sponsored by the restaurant. That's, yeah, and the that's Murray Brothers Andy's Caddy restaurant, Shack. right? Andy's uh, in charge yeah. of that. We're I all, met Andy briefly. We're all investors and figureheads, but Andy actually does the actual work. Um, well, he's quite large. He's, he's a tall guy. He is. He displaces a lot of water in a beaker, <laughs> if you were to try to compare yourself to them. I measure people by volume. Yeah, that's what I do. Or, not mass, not weight, volume. But yeah, he has a, a great volume uh, about him. But uh, so I always say, you know, if I can somehow help a situation and, and, and put myself in front of the train that is drinking and playing golf, I am there. I am, I am, I'm, a, I'm a second responder. Gosh Conductor. Darn it. I'm going to be there. And uh, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to help in that way. Do you... Do, do, when you think of Canal Shores, do you think this is the birthplace of Caddyshack? No, because I know that that was Indian Hill where we grew up caddying. So tell me the full story because I'm getting mixed reports and I'm okay with, well, unintentionally lying. But I'm, I would like to at least work my way towards the truth. Well, always face the truth. Um, well, we grew up caddy in Indian Hill Country Club, which was very waspy. I mean, there was a waiting list to get in, and you somebody had to pretty much die to get in back in the day. And it was, uh, it was, it taught you subservience. Uh, it taught you a lot of important lessons growing up caddying, and and they paid you in cash when you finished, and that was good. And there was no taxes. But uh, we grew up caddying for people that were far, far wealthier than we were. All nine of you. Um, well, the girls didn't caddy. Um, but that, all, that would just be absurd. Or, no, there were some. There, there at that time, there were female caddies in golf, or they just chose not to. Yeah, no, they had they had jobs. Uh, they were waitresses and worked at the rectory. They did different things. Okay. They didn't uh, get tapped on the thing that hey, you guys are up at six in the morning, <laughs> say, you know, altar boying for mass. You, you seem like the type of guys we need. And uh, so I- Indian Hill was down the road. We would either hitchhike down there or, or ride your bike down there, and. Uh, 
you'd, you'd play basketball for the first hour until you got your loop, you know, kind of thing, or maybe two hours, and it was always a, a prestige thing to get in the early game because that's when the good sure. the good guys were playing. With more money. With more money. And uh, you, you, you could either play basketball or cards, and uh, my brother Brian used to say, you know, I, I made a lot more money playing hearts than I did caddying. And uh, he actually used to make more money shagging balls because they didn't have a driving range. They would just take you out and hit balls, and you'd go get them, which was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, well, sounds kind of uh, developing country-esque. Well, they're just the poor, you know, yeah. so <laughs> let me <laughs> it's just... It's okay if they get hit. Right, right. No, don't give them a helmet or anything. You do a very good Brian Doyle Murray, that's, by the way. That's... I uh, I do <laughs> an imitation on all my brothers, except my, my brother Ed is the toughest because it's, it's just kind of... Maybe it's the same voice. I don't it's know. just you. Yeah. Are you the same person? No. Um, you, uh, so, so, Indian Hill, you, did you, did, were you ever at any point in your life averse to golf because of the culture clash that you experienced as a kid? No, I think one of the things you learned is that you wanted to be the guy walking in your life. You, you didn't want to be the guy carrying the bag. And it, it kind of gave you a bit of ambition that, uh, yeah, someday somebody else can be carrying the bag and, and I'm going to overtip him as compared to the guy I'm caddying for today. <laughs> and uh, it, it made you ambitious. And it was interesting uh, just to have a glimpse into the upper crust at that point because we were, you know, 11 people living in a three-bedroom house, basically. And uh, the, these people were titans of industry and Reynolds aluminum and companies that you knew the names of and stuff like that and uh you you it was fascinating to see what they talked about what they were interested in and that kind of thing but at, at the same time just holding your tongue and not saying a word and rake that trap you know at what point are you uh, you're the youngest right you said yeah I, i'm i'm the youngest of three which is not saying much but for you did you ever experience being the youngest of such a you know, um, unusual and interesting kind of family, no matter what age you are, right? It sounds like things are a bit outside the norm, even for just other kids at school, right? Did you ever experience, was it ever for you like, uh, well, well, what am I going to do differently? You know, because the youngest child has a very unique place, right? And, right? and so what was that like for you? Well, I mean, your first day of class every year, the teacher would shudder, like, another Murray. <laughs> Um, I mean, you and there were people that feared some of my brothers, you know, that they may have been beaten up by back in the day or uh, things like that. So you you had a a history and and people knew your family and um, they knew there were a lot of you. So you wouldn't get picked on ever because they knew that, you know, there's five other brothers coming for you. Oh, strength in numbers. That's good. Uh, Did you all stick together very well? We're we're a pretty tight family. There's no... uh, you know, nobody's not talking to somebody else. That, that happens in small families. It's true. I'm not talking to Jaden anymore. Because each each family member has a higher percentage of ownership. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yours just sort of democratic. Right. And, you know, if you said you weren't talking to somebody, somebody would come over and slap you on the back of the head. Go, what do you mean? Go talk to them. What are you, what are you talking about? But, yeah. uh, no, we're, we're a tight family. And um, one of the reasons we get together is is to golf. So that it's always been a bonding uh, thing for us as well. That's beautiful. What what are some memories that stick out to you of using golf as a, a way of reconnecting with your family? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I remember going up to uh, Big Sand Lake, Wisconsin, way up in the North Woods and uh, playing with my brother Ed. And I was probably nine or something like that. And I, I just 
thought that was the coolest thing that I was actually out on a real golf course with my brother playing golf. Uh, but it, you know, it's always a bonding thing. It's like, look at this, look at what we're, look, what we're looking at. You know, so many places you go, the founding fathers stole a piece of land that wasn't like flat farmland that may have had the best vistas in the entire town. And they stole that for the golf course or the country club. And, uh, you know, you go to places like Shore Acres in, in Lake Forest, Illinois, like the vistas looking down or, or uh, oh, where Billy's uh, Sleepy Hollow uh, mm. in New York, where you, you see these ravines down to the rivers and stuff like that. Just the most beautiful views in the world. And I, I, I think Billy said it one time, uh, one of the things I like most about golf is nobody's within 300 yards of me. And uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, you're hiking or you're, you're you know, out on the frontier or you're, you're doing something. But uh, it's the the vast amount of space you get, uh, in, even in a city like this. Mm. I mean, KJ Choi is a good 400 yards away from us now, and I feel safer. <laughs> they, they, uh, the, the census did some type of study where they asked people where they were happiest to describe the location at which they might feel the happiest. And the, and the answer most commonly, if you're playing Family Feud, survey says uh, a large open field with some trees. Well, and, and that sounds like a fair way to me. Yeah. And hopefully the tree isn't in your way. Hopefully you're not. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. you're not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you come out to L.A., and uh, are you are you uh, are you are, do you land in L.A. with a script or what's going on? I was in the second city in Chicago and um, I, Craig uh, T. Nelson, right? No. Who else was there? There were some other second city. I'm confused. Your your, your Belushi's, your Ackroyd's, your Gilder. I Radner's. thought Craig T. Nelson was in there. No. No. Uh, he's a friend of the pod. Well, he's a good guy, but yeah, no. I, <laughs> but I he wasn't on Second City. <laughs> I don't think of him as an improviser or. Uh, well, he's pretty funny. But, um, yeah, no, I, it was a comedy cabaret theater in Chicago started by, like, Alan Arkin and Ed Asner and, and Nichols and May way back in 1958. And um, I used to go and watch my brothers when they were in it. And Brian was in it from, like, 69 to 72. And Billy was in it from, like, 72 to 74. And uh, used to go with my mother. And, you know, she'd say, what did he say? Uh, he said, shit, Mom. What? Shit, Mom. Oh, oh, Okay. All right, so you you explain some of the swear words to her, but I, I never thought I would have the chops to do that. Right. And then, sure enough, 1980s, late 80s, I came along, and I, I was in a group of people that started the Improv Olympic in Chicago. And uh, I got in a group with, like, uh, I started out, it was Mike Myers and Bonnie Hunt I worked with, and then my company was with Chris Farley and Timmy Meadows and my buddy Dave Pasquese, who I was a roommate in Rome in college with. And... Uh, it was just a fabulous time, and uh, we came through with the right people, and somebody came uh, one night, and I kind of got hired off the stage to be on a television show called Grand with Bonnie Hunt and Michael McKean and uh, Pamela Reed, John Neville, John Randolph, great older actors, and uh, I came out, and it was crazy. I was on a plane, and uh, the woman next to me, I was coming out to do the pilot, and uh, the woman next to me was taking a Cosmo stress test, and it was like, had you moved? Had you lost a job? Have you gotten a new job? Have you lost a, a, a sibling or a parent? Have you become, have you gotten pregnant? Have you had a child? Have you started menopause? And I had like six of the seven or seven of the eight or something like that, and I was like, 
well, this is this should be a really stressful time, but well, I'm I'm having fun. But uh, <laughs> so I came out with my new bride, and we had a baby right away, and uh, we uh, found you know. We didn't know anybody in town except for Bonnie Hunt and Sean Masterson, whose parents started the People's Court. Right. Oh, so wow. So they both had condos in Brentwood. So okay. I, I assumed, well, that's where like-minded people that want to live and be near the studios at an you know, inexpensive area, Brentwood. So I, I, I rented a little uh, house behind a, an apartment complex that was just the best setup for the beginning of our marriage and our first two babies. And... Uh, I'm still here. It's, I love Brentwood. Yeah, it's, it's it was kind of nice then too. I want to unpack more of that scene, but I'm going to take a quick break. Everybody, uh, stand by. All right, Precision Pro, everybody. Precision Pro Golf makes amazing golf rangefinders that are the perfect combination of price and performance. Um, listen, whenever I see someone on the range or wherever I go, if I see someone with a Precision Pro rangefinder, I see a paisano, a countryman. Someone who's not interested in basically overpaying for a product. Same the same way I feel about vice balls. You know, it's like it's just like we cut out the middleman, we make a great product, and we get it out to you so that you can basically afford it. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I just I would rather have uh, something that's good value, right? Uh, right now, the NX7 Pro is on sale. Whoa, forty dollars off. Go get it. Forty dollars off. That's a good deal. What's even better is that you can get an additional $10 off for being a listener of the podcast when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's $50 off. I mean, jeez. I'm going to go get some. I've said that already. Over 800 verified reviews from real golfers can't be wrong. Here's what Ty had to say about his NX7 Pro rangefinder. He goes, uh, while waiting on the tee box in my last round, there was a hawk flying overhead. The NX7 Pro is so fast and accurate that I was able to measure the distance to the Hawk while it was moving. 178.4 yards, if you're curious. So that's about a, that's an easy six, hard seven. Um, if the NX7 Pro Golf Rangefinder can measure a Hawk, it can definitely measure a flag. That's been my experience. Um, well, also Ty's experience. Uh, go to PrecisionProGolf.com and use coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, to get $50 off the NX7 Pro Rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, one more read, folks. Adidas. Over 5 million pieces of plastic are floating in our oceans, which over time get broken down, making it easy for sea life to ingest, ultimately affecting our own food chain. So it is your problem. It's not just a world problem. It's you. It affects you. Adidas is working with Parlay to prevent plastic entering our oceans and transform it into high-performance sportswear. Mm-hmm. Shoes is coming soon. Just hold on. Hold your hats, folks. I'm not even done with the ad. Stop trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Adidas is spinning the problem into what? A solution. The thread into a thread. I don't know what that means. It's written here. It says the thread into a thread. I don't know who wrote this. Adidas Golf is bringing eco innovation to the golf course in a, the form of a special edition shoe. All right, this is legit, actually. This is the first time the Parlay shoe has been uh, a golf shoe. I've had it in um, form of a running shoe. I mean, look, it's a, it's a sick shoe that serves a purpose, okay? That's where you get it. 
Um, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe. Oh, look, they already wrote it for me. The first ever golf shoe made from pla- uh, recycled. Oh, no, it's not called recycled. It's called upcycled. I don't know what that is. I feel like I should probably Google that. Upcycled plastic waste that was intercepted like Jason Bourne from the beaches and coastal communities before reaching the ocean. Dang, I didn't realize this is Jason Bourne's golf shoe. Intercepted. I mean, I'm a golf guy, but I also love football. Who doesn't love a classic interception, especially when it's Jason Bourne saving planet Earth? Entire upper of the shoe is made with threads spun. It's also a DJ. Amazing. From the upcycled plastic waste. My phone's ringing. Andrew Marler. Hang on. All right. Well, that was a 20-minute phone call, but you have no idea. It just went by like that. Um, Anyway, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe made from upcycled plastic. I already read this because it's got the intercepted line. Intercepted from beaches and coastal communities in a world before reaching the ocean. The entire upper of the shoe is made from thread spun from upcycled plastic waste. Built is built as the Tour 360 XT, you still get great traction and stability. I feel like, what's that line from Taken? I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> they will take you. Available starting June 10th at adidas.com. And for those headed to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, a select number of pairs will be sold on site. Get into it, folks. All right, back to the show. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, we're back. Um, I'm get- So getting back to this L.A. history, I'm curious to know... Um, if uh, I'm sorry, I'm totally distracted because now Stuart is walking into the podcast set with an umbrella for you Joel asked, asked, to because because there's a little sun coming in. So if you're watching this on YouTube, this is the behind the scenes. If you're listening, I'm this is why we're distracted. I'm enjoying the sun. I'm just looking a little squinty. He, he, yeah. Well, you know, you can we can have him move it too. I mean, it can go both ways. I'll just ignore we're, them. We're ignore just, them. Ignore them. Okay. They're just trying to get attention. Was when you got to L.A. Was it like Annie Hall? Remember? Remember when he's in Annie Hall and he's just and he's out here and then Sunset Boulevard, they got the health food restaurant. Was it like that? Um, no, it wasn't. What year did you get here? I came out here in 89. Okay. And we had, like I said, we had this little house that was like the Bat Cave. Uh, it had a really long driveway and uh, the, the complex's pool was next to our house. And we had a little yard and we had a garage you could pull in and a doorway that went out to our own little fenced-in thing. It was a great place to have little kids. But um, we had so many Chicago friends out here already from the Second City that, you know, like if you had a, a, a party for the Bears game, you had to tell people on Friday, because if you told them on Wednesday, you'd have a hundred Second City people showing up at your house for, you know, chicken and wings and whatever. And uh, it was always best to wait a little bit on that. And but, is this before there's a formidable um, improv group in Los Angeles? This is before Upright Citizens Brigade, right? It's way before that. It was way before, well, it was before the Second City L.A. that was short-lived. Uh, 
I made some good friends out of that. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it was the back then. It was the Groundlings were kind of the deal, and uh, then we had our own kind of bowling night where we would have all these Second City Improv Olympic people that would get up and do a, a night of uh, nonsense. And, uh, we did that at the Ash Grove on the pier down okay. in Santa Monica, and we did it on the Third Street Promenade before there was a Third Street Promenade uh, at a place called the Upfront. But uh, it was literally like bowling night. You'd take names out of a hat, and you'd have three different groups, and you'd go up and do 45 minutes each kind of thing. How does improv... I mean, I'm not trained. I don't know anything. I do find that... I, I have a belief that as dumb as I think anybody may or may not be, if they are funny... There is a deep level of intelligence there. Do, do you share that, or, is, or am I alone? Uh, well, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of intelligence in honesty. Uh, if, if you go out there on stage and you don't try to be somebody uh, that you can't pull off, and uh, you you show and bear a lot of yourself, then you look intelligent by that choice. Like Chris Farley comes to mind. He wasn't, you know, he, he didn't wasn't magna cum laude. Uh, he wasn't a Rhodes Scholar, but he was brilliant in the fact that he was just so true on stage, and hmm. it was it was like you know improvising with a, a yellow lab. There was no nothing but love and fun. And uh, I, I lived next door to him above the Mexican restaurant across from the Second City when we were there, and he was he was my lab for like three years, and uh, just the greatest guy and a, a wonderful person to improvise with. The first scene we ever did, he got moved up uh, to do the sets on the main stage at uh, Second City, and. We got the suggestion, uh, we, we would go out and take a things for the third act, uh, take a bunch of suggestions and go back and sort of write, but not really write, just kind of throw out premises. And I said, well, we got drunk tank, so I'm your father, I'm picking you up at a drunk tank. Are we good? And he's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we went out and we did like a seven minute scene that was absolutely hysterical because the father picking up the son was just as much of a drunk as the son, and he's trying to, you know, lecture him, but, you know, he keeps kind of coming back that, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot too. And uh, it was this wonderful scene, and Del Close, the improv guru, our director, came back and said, oh, that was absolutely fantastic. Script that exactly as it was. Do it exactly as you did it tonight. And, uh, you know, firm believer in improv, uh, you don't have to write anything on that. That's, that's done. That's in the show. And uh, when you're putting up a show, to have that one, you know, early on was just a huge feather in our cap. But it was the first time I'd ever been on stage with this cat. And that, that's how good he was, kind of, you know. When you say yellow lab, I think I know what you mean. But can we go further? I literally had a wicker chair in my apartment that I used to make him sit in. I used to, he'd come in and, you know, the first time he was in my apartment, he put a hole in the wall. Uh, <laughs> just he was screwing around with Pat Finn, another friend of mine, and uh, the Super Bowl uh 20 was the Bears Super Bowl. I had a big party, uh, and he came in in a Packers thing, and the next thing in a Packers jacket, and the next thing you know, Pat Finn put him through a wall, and uh, the the shroud of Farley was there for three years, and I put a Super Bowl poster over it. But I used to make him sit in the same wicker chair every time he came in my apartment, and there w became a darker and darker stain underneath the wicker chair. That was, he was a he was a drooling, drippy mess. He was. Uh, he was like a, a big yellow lab, and uh, you, you, I should have put down papers, or I should have put down a, a tarp instead of a wicker chair, but I, I thought he couldn't hurt the wicker chair, but I didn't think about the carpet. Do you see any connection between the ability to uh, improvise well, if you want to call it that, if, the, if there is such a thing, and uh, the game of golf? 
Yeah, I, I can see uh, having the right demeanor is very important in both. And uh, listening and taking it all in. I mean, you know, they say you, you shoot four or five strokes better when you walk a golf course. And that's kind of like listening to the land and your, your feet and you're feeling the contour of the hole. And uh, I think there's things you, you learn by being there and taking it in rather than getting out of the cart and putting down your beer and, and walking to the green. Um, but I mean, I improvise still. I, I travel around the country. I do a live Whose Line Is It Anyway show uh, called Who's Live Anyway with Ryan Stiles and Greg Proops and Jeff Davis and Dave Foley and uh, Chip Eston. Uh, and Drew Carey just did some shows with us, but um, we go out and do a 90-minute show with absolutely no preparation, and you know it, it's absolutely none. It's the weirdest thing in the you world. You don't have any baked recipes that you know you can fall back on. You must have some. Well, you've got stuff in your Rolodex that are responses characters. to certain things, and you've got characters, and there's jokes you've heard throughout your life so that you can you know pay something off once in a while. But that's all on the fly, and you're just listening. There's nothing written. I mean, it's. It's a big glass of scotch for me, and I go. And uh, What's the best part of that experience? Well, payday. Uh, <laughs> who, would, <laughs> who would have thought you'd start making, you know, bank doing improv in your 50s? Uh, I mean, after doing it for free your whole life. But um, hmm. payday's good. But the best experience is when, you know, sometimes you're in a place and they're, they're a mild audience and they're, they're laughing and you get done and all of a sudden they jump to their feet and you've got a standing ovation and you're like wow I thought they kind of liked this but I guess they really like this and uh, that that's always gives you chills um, and there's an energy in front of a live audience where you know I, I think it's got to be good for your health to get that kind of energy all the time uh, from other people mm. um, and you know the other best part is you know one night you're in a 200 year old theater that you know Busby Berkeley played in and, and the next night you're in a brand new center for the performing hearts that's you know acoustically perfect in a completely different style and uh, that's kind of the fun uh, last weekend where was I, I was in um, the Vils we went to Charlottesville Knoxville and uh, Asheville Asheville's a cool town yeah uh, North Carolina yeah. yeah it's a great but, place you know, going to places that you know your missionaries in mirth they're really happy to see you there like right. why what are you doing here <laughs> like well and, i don't know a booking agent booked it and we're here and uh, we're gonna have fun uh so i don't know you I don't know, know what the question was uh yeah i mean i <laughs> I, w I would like to know what the question was myself yeah, right. um you know it's interesting you're talking about um the 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 idea of uh getting paid to travel around and do what you would have done for free and, you know, for me, that just makes me think of um, how golf is the best travel companion in life. Do, do you get to play when you're out there running around? No, very rarely, because it, it's often like, you know, four or five hour drive to the next gig and uh, you, you don't have time. And then you, it'd be another piece of luggage. And right. uh, so we don't rarely we have, but uh, very rarely. And Ryan and I are really the only two golfers, I think, out of the bunch. So uh, that those cards don't come together very often, right? Uh, and so, at what point but you're saying, like, imagine these guys getting paid to play golf? I mean, I know it's it's really hard to get to this level. I mean, I had nephews that were semi-pro and, and played in the different, uh, you know, 
the Golden Bear Tour and stuff like that back in the day. It's it's so hard to get to this level, but I, I think it was Ernie Els. It was Ernie Els. One time he lost, and somebody was giving him grief about coming in second, and he was like, "Are you kidding me? Did you see what I got paid for second place? And I'm playing golf for a living." What? <laughs> and that's a horrible Australian accent, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're playing golf yeah. for a living. Give me a break. Well, that's it. I I would like to hear more of that in pressers. <laughs> did, did you wait do you actually care about my three putt like yeah. i'm getting paid to play golf oh shucks i only made six hundred thousand instead of a million three yeah yeah that's tragic isn't it i'm curious to know so at what point are you you're you're going through life you're you're a working actor you're on television you're doing uh you know improv stuff every weekend and then you're like you know i think i want to start a clothing company that seems like a lot well um yeah <laughs> Yeah, I have the time. I have a lot of downtime. <laughs> um, well, we, we have our golf tournament in uh, St. Augustine, and w- the guy that runs our golf tournament. That's coming up, right? When is it? It's What's the date? April something. April. I don't know. I should check. April, but, I don't know. April, Everyone go check it out. <laughs> April 24th. Stop on by. Uh, <laughs> Everyone is welcome. I think it's that date. But uh, Chris Seeley, who runs our tournament, uh, said, you know, we should really do something, and he mocked up this stuff um, with a, a logo of Billy in a bucket hat with boots on, uh, swinging a club, and it was Murray Brothers Golf. And uh, I'm like, well, we should do this. And I'm like, no, that's a cool logo. That's that's great stuff. We should do that. Um, but you know, who's gonna do it? Um, mm. My brothers aren't the most uh, hardworking uh, fellas in the world, and uh, you know, we don't really have a, a, a way to get it out to the masses. Uh, and I was approached by these people from the Chive website, and uh, this woman was going to give me a 10-minute uh, pitch, and she got in, and an hour and a half later, I was like, yes, exactly, you get it. And uh, so we, we started it in cahoots with the Chive, and they had you know 3 million people coming to their website every week. And that makes it easier to sell shirts. Yeah, a lot easier, and they are in the shirt business and stuff like that that we didn't really have going for us at that time. So we, we got a reach in like the first week that would have taken us a decade mm. you know i mean I'm, i know johnny o johnny uh grew up at indian hill I oh i didn't know that get caddy for his family but um he's a, a stud over at la country club here but um you know he he's rolled that out it's taken a decade to get the recognition that he has and right and we had that like in a weekend all of a sudden and uh, between billy and um the chive it got out there really fast and uh it, it, it's been a blessing and you know it all kind of we had to talk bill into it and uh you know why well you're using his likeness mm-hmm. uh and that the our logo now is uh, billy throwing the club at pebble i remember uh, that yeah and uh that was the chive idea that they wanted that on william murray golf we classed up bill murray mm. now he's like william it. murray yeah i like that uh it's much fancier and um we, we you know, I had to kind of talk him into it because people are always got ideas for him and, mm. and things for him. To I want do. a piece of you. Yeah. And we have the Murray Brothers Caddyshack and he's part of that. And uh, so this one was a, a little tougher sell. But I, I think he finally it came out of generosity when I was saying, you know, 
all the brothers could be involved and you know everybody could get kind of well on this thing you know and uh you wouldn't have to worry about paying anybody's dental bills uh, some month or something like that everybody would have some you know some folding money for their pants and stuff so that'd be nice <laughs> and uh because he is kind of a fashion goofball he he liked the idea of oh yeah and we could do this and oh, yeah so he's involved and he, he likes it and he, he likes the stuff and uh, he wears it. He just wore it a pebble all weekend and uh, despite the overclothing, uh, the extra rain gear that he had to wear. But um, it, it, it came from this weird little place of generosity that he was like, yeah, I, let's let's do that. And uh, so that's kind of cool that it's 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 based on good karma as well. And uh, it's comfy stuff. It breathes well. It's good to golf in, and uh, we we do button-down stuff because Billy grew up not wearing, wanting to wear polo shirts because that meant it was a hand down hand-me-down from his older brother really? Ed, and so that's why you often see him golfing in a button-down. So we make a lot of performance button-downs you can golf in, and uh, oh, that's cool! I like those and sport coats uh, that you can golf in. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Port Marnock outside of Dublin. I have, yeah. Uh, if you want to go in the pub after the round, you're not welcome without a sport coat. Yeah, and right. I, I was kind of like, these are $300 Footjoy shoes. <laughs> these these pants, I, we can't come in and have a drink. Right. Uh, not not without a jacket, no. And uh, you see these guys pull up with their buggy and, and pull a jacket out of it that literally has moths. And you can see the mold on the jacket, but they're going in and having a drink. And they wouldn't let Billy and Brian and I in to have a drink. Uh. So. That was another reason to, to start uh, the sport coats. And, I like that. Uh, it was pretty cool. The um, you know I I I already know that you're going to say yes, so because I, I wouldn't want to put you on the spot. But um, friends of the pod, you know, you come on. I, I like I like the clothing. I have no upside personally, but if you're listening to the podcast, Joel's going to offer you a discount code right now that you can use for. Well we, well, we have a little contest amongst the family. Um, I had the idea that we should get cards printed up that say, you've been married. And um, every brother would have a card that they could give out and give out 20% to anybody. So my card on the back says, use uh, code JOEL20, and you get 20% off everything. J-O-E-L-2-0. Yeah, you could try JOEL70. I don't <laughs> think it'll work, but I think uh, JOEL20 still works. And uh there's a, kind of a contest within the company to see which brother's going to get the Whoa. most uh, most people coming. On and the what's the duration? Discount. What's the duration? It's free. It's forever. That's you're the you're about it. to. Uh, yeah. You're about to get at least two people. Right? My parents, my mom and dad are definitely going to buy some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Uh, no, but it's cool. You know, because I um, am a big. Uh, I, I'm I'm not like a fashion guy, but I'm definitely not like I definitely was deterred by golf wares early on. Definitely. You know, I didn't understand that, you know, I, I didn't like it all. And so it's cool to see that you're a part of the group that's changing the face of that. Well, that was part of the reason Billy got involved, too, in the fact that, you know, golf was more interesting when Nicholas and Palmer were wearing plaid totally. pants and stuff like that. Classy. Johnny Miller was wearing cool stuff. The stuff now is like, oh, wow, it's neon. Yeah. But, I mean, look at these guys on the green here. There's there's nothing that's catching your eye whatsoever. No. And, uh you know, we all have kids, uh, all the brothers have a lot of boys, and um, some of them are losing the interest in the game of golf because it takes too long. And, you know, who wants mm. to go five hours without looking at their phone? And uh, so we thought this might also bring some people into the game of golf if they could wear, you know, wild shirts, uh, something subtle like I've got on. And uh, 
you know, stand out in the crowd a little bit and, and make it fun again. And uh, right. that, is, that is part of the impetus of uh, the, the company. Yeah, that's great. I, I really support that because I think, you know, again, that if, if we've got younger people walking off a course saying, I don't want to do that again, we need to, we need to, we need to take a long, hard look at why, why would we tell them that that's what we have to do to play golf? Right. I, uh, I don't understand the lack of love. Um, and my kids like to play, but they like to play the par three by my house at mm. Rancho. And because it's only it's two holes, yeah, it's nine holes. They're, they're in and out in two hours. And, uh, they, I've never played that. They enjoy that. It's, it's kind of fun. Do you get out there? You're a member at Hillcrest, you said? No, no. I'm not a member anywhere. Okay. My wife, uh, is not a golfer. And, uh, <laughs> many years ago I, was putting my second edition on my house because I, I grew up in construction a bit too. And uh, she said, well, you can join uh, Wilshire. And they had a great deal if you were under 40 or you can do your edition on the house. And right then on cue, like $40,000 worth of wood dropped in the driveway. I said, no, I'm, I'm doing the edition. And uh, so I, the 40 thing passed and I just have never been able to justify dropping $180,000 to be a member. It's a lot. When I live next door to Rancho Park. So do you play Rancho pretty regularly? Yeah, like How? once a week. Really? Yeah. And so what's your Rancho protocol? Mine? I've got some older friends, my old next door neighbor, who have a tea time every Monday and Friday. So if I'm in town, they let me play with them. Or I just walk over there by myself because I'm an actor. You never know. You might get an audition at 5 p.m. for the next day. So I don't plan ahead very much. And uh, so a lot of times I just go over there and uh, I'll put my name in and uh, I'll hit some balls and then they call you and say you're on the tee. And it, it works out quite beautifully if you get there early enough. And you get paired up with three that you don't know? Complete strangers. How do you like it? I, I like people. I, uh, I like talking to people. I like learning what other people do for a living. One of the best improv notes I ever got was from my brother Bill he said to me, he said, you know, people want me to talk about me all the time. And I find it's far more interesting to talk about them. And it, it's flattering to them to talk about what they do. And I also learn what they do and what goes on in their lives. And I'll, I'll keep asking them questions about, you know, what their life's like. But like you, that would be good for you because when you're an improviser and, uh, you know, you're supposed to be an insurance man or an actuary and all of a sudden you actually have ideas and thoughts and things that you've learned from some guy who is an actuary that you can put on stage all of a sudden that that makes you look that much smarter and and keeps you you know uh, a better improviser and you've made that guy feel good rather than talking about one crazy summer or Mad Men for an hour and a half why do you think it is that some people aren't interested in other people well, much of our, much of the world is wildly self-centered. <laughs> yeah, no, I notice it. Why, I'm wondering why, though. Why is all the wealth in the top one percent? I don't know. That's it's a, it's a weird thing to think about. But uh, yeah, and a lot of celebrities will will gladly talk. About, look <laughs> at the, the hypocrisy of this all. I've been talking about myself for the last hour with you here. Well, but uh, I've asked, I've invited you here to yeah, do that. Yeah, but um, by the I, way, you I, just made me look great. Thank yeah, you. I should I should ask. <laughs> Yeah, you, you are wildly cool, and I, here I am. No, but I mean, you know, it, 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 I, I agree with what you're saying and what you're saying you heard from your brother, which is it is kind of boring to talk about yourself, but at the same time, you have a story, and I'm asking you to come out here and tell it. And so, actually, you're the one doing 
the greater service because if you don't like talking about yourself, which you may not, then you've come out here merely to do that. And so thank you. And maybe to support the family business that you've all sort of uh, rallied behind. Businesses, yeah. Businesses, business right. I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I, I, like I say, I'd rather golf and drink uh, to help, but if I can, you know, talk about myself, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll throw myself in front of that train as well. Rancho Park. Where did you One grow of up? The cr- <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, part of the reason why we can't do it is, so I do two podcasts a week. I do a Monday pod where I just talk. Uh-huh. It's kind of like your weekend show, and I have very little plans, and I've told everyone where I grew up, which is New Jersey. Uh-huh. But a- after the pod, you and I go for a walk. Okay. We'll go down a walk on a short pier. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. I know, I know this neighborhood. You're going to have a hard time finding a private spot. Yeah. But no, but I'm curious to know um, Rancho Park, right? I would say one of the jewels of public golf. People say golf is dying, but I go to Rancho Park, and I have trouble playing golf there because it's so busy well um it is crowded it was at one point the busiest golf course in america um and because of the most rounds played a year and a lot of that has to do with the weather here but um don't tell anybody but they raised the price a couple years ago and um it's gotten down to like a four hour and 15 minute round and uh, don't tell anybody but um There was a group of guys, I swear to God, it was the same six, eight guys that would go to six o'clock mass at St. Tim's across the street and come across and at like 7.48 would change it from a four-hour round to a six-hour round. And uh, the, you know, the $30 price tag has, has gotten them to go to Witsit in the Valley instead. Okay. Not Witsit, uh, Woodley Lakes. Right. Good course also. Three Lakes never come into play. Woodley Lakes. <laughs> lakes uh, made of wood. Yeah. Well, it, it just, you really, you'd have to, like, shank it completely to even find the water. Yeah. I mean, it, it would almost a 90 degree, you'd have, like, if you tipped it with a with the driver, maybe it could go that way into the lake. But well, I don't know who designed that one. Possible for me, I'll say. Yeah. I could do that. <laughs> I, had um, a, I had a buddy put out the tire on the golf cart, and we were right even with the tee box, and he just nicked the ball and it went directly 90 degrees that way and took out the tire uh it cracked you know it dented the rim right at the edge and uh wow you could never that's harder than a hole in one you couldn't do that in a million years that's that's a double albatross (laughs) that's not touching the ball and it goes in the hole that's like yeah yeah, getting a one on a par five yeah yeah um well uh yeah i guess so they got the code they got the story is there anything i'm missing is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything you want to add no. to my parents who are listening? <laughs> it's so good of them to tune in every day. It really is. It's a, it's uh, a phone call, basically. No, I. Uh, who's live anyway. dot com is the, the touring company uh, that comes to the town near you. Uh, we get to Jersey. Yeah, we've been there. Uh, and uh, WilliamMurrayGolf. dot com. That's that's the answer Joel, to all your problems. Joel one hundred is the code Joel, for hundred percent off. Just keep working your way down. <laughs> <laughs> Started at 100, and I think you're going to have success around 20. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that with the listeners of the podcast. My pleasure. And thank you for your time. Help. Oh.